The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're touching on marriage for the second time. Uh, we looked at it last week, we're looking at it this week before we move on. And uh, last week we looked at the mystery of Christian marriage, how we are in a sense exemplifying the renewed humanity that, uh, that God is recreating in Christ, um, the glory that's there, the, the sanctification that's there, but also um, this week we're looking at the challenge of that. How do we live that out? What does that look like um, in practical ways and, and maybe diving more into both the glory and the sanctification that's, that's there? Uh, this morning I was uh, in the process of looking for my belt. Um, and so I did a dangerous thing, in my opinion. I asked my wife, where's my belt? Have you seen it? You see, because uh, early on in our marriage, the, uh, she would have taken that personally, like, what do you mean? Why, why do I have to know what your belt is? Like, like, like the question was, like, the, the, the question behind the question was, why don't you have all of my stuff laid out for me all the time? Which was not my intention. Uh, but it, and so, so it would create this, like, this dissonance between us. Like, okay, I'm not trying to say this, but you're not trying to say that. So how is this supposed to work? But we're, we've, we've worked through that. She realizes that usually I'm asking because I literally can't see what's right in front of me. So she, this morning she was like, uh, it's hanging on a hanger in your closet. So I go to the closet, and I look at the hangers. I look at all of them individually, and I don't see a belt. I'm like, hmm, well, maybe, maybe it got moved. You know, blame those stupid kids, right? They move everything. Even stuff that's in my closet, they move it all the time. And that's, frankly, what would happen often. Like, like when I can't find something, I would start to blame the kids. You know, it's like, man, that's... that's those darn kids, they're just always moving stuff around. I can never find what I lay there, you know, which is never true, but, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm like, that's where I tend to turn, you know. And then she said, it's on the green hanger, the one that doesn't have anything else on it. I looked again. There was a green hanger, and yes, my belt was hanging on it. Like, what kind of what kind of woman knows that kind of detail about her house with seven other kids? I, 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 it blows my mind, okay? But she, that was the end of the conversation. Why? Because after 22 years of marriage, it's like, okay, I know you. I know you can't see the thing that's right in front of your nose, because literally it was right in front of my nose. And, and we could, I could not be offended. She could not be offended. We could just work together in harmony to figure out where my belt is when I can't see where my belt is, Right? And, it, and the challenge of marriage, and especially the challenge of Christian marriage, is how do you do this in such a way that you create oneness together and let it reflect the glory and the beauty of who Christ and the church is together? Because that's what we're all about. Paul is writing this in Ephesians because he says, I want you to, I want you to live grace, that unconditional acceptance and provision that came to you at Christ's expense is yours, and you get to live it, and you get to walk in it, and you get to live in it and walk in it in very practical, day-to-day, earthly ways of, where's my belt, you know? And how do we do this together? 
so that we walk in grace, we live in grace. Because God is and has been and will continue to be in the process of creating this new humanity in Christ. That's not about background or race or, or, or how much money you have or any of those things. It's based on what Christ has done for us on the cross. That he came and he rescued us from sin and death. That our ultimate hope is not just to live, hopefully, as best we can in these few years that we have and then die and our, our, our bodies mold in the ground. But that he came and he rose again from the grave conquering death and therefore sin so that we can be reunited with God to live with him forever and to experience his grace, that unconditional acceptance and provision that Christ provided to us by dying on the cross for us. And if that's true, then what I want to do this morning is help us think about how to do this practically within marriage. How does it work so that we can walk in grace and live in grace together? And for those of you who are single, for whatever reason, they're not married, at the same time, what I want you to realize too is that this same relationship that is exemplified between husband and wife is and will continue to be the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ and how he provides for you. So let's look at, again, Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to start again in verse 15 and read to the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, not for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their, to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
Here we have a key aspect that Paul, in, in saying, be filled with the Spirit and therefore submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, he's saying to both wives and to husbands, submit to your role in the process of living out this together. And I want to kind of talk that through with you this morning. And the idea here is to embrace the submission. Embrace the submission. Why? Why do I say that? Why is this important to talk about? Because submission for secular people, which is us in general, is scary. It's scary and it's counterintuitive. If you talk about submitting to someone or to something, it's, it's counterintuitive and and therefore scary because our world is teaching us and prepping us and, and having us seek to, to be molded into the idea that we are, in that sense, we are our own kings and queens, so to speak. We are, we are our own person. And the, best, the, mo- the highest value and the best way that you can live out your life is to find a way to express yourself, to live out your own self-expression. That the best story that you can live is the story you make for yourself that you define who you are, that you define how you want to live, and you define the, the, the way that you want to live, and that the, the best way that you can have, that you can know that you had the one life you have and live it out to its fullest is to live your dream and to express yourself and to know who you are. And submission sounds the opposite of that. It, mean, it sounds like you're saying, don't be yourself. It's, it's like, it sounds like you're saying, don't know what's best for you. It sounds like you're saying, don't let someone else be involved in your life, really, in, in defining who you are. And therefore, it's scary because if the Bible is saying, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, and yet the world is saying, hey, the best way that you can, you can truly live and, and, and have a full life is to not to submit to anyone, then how do you put these two together? What's the best, best path to take? Because you can't put them together is the problem. In the process of working with someone else, or in the process of seeking to become your own person, both processes have the challenge of shame involved. But submission, especially to secular people, sounds more like shame than just trying to be yourself and working harder at that process, right? Because that's what the world says is, well, you're, you're like, well, I can't figure out who I am. I can't figure out how, how I should live and what my dream should be and how I should, what I should do with my life. And the world just says, work harder, <laughs> shout louder, be, be more yourself. And what Ephesians is saying all the way through is, you have a self you can cling to in the grace of God. You are chosen in Christ. You are adopted in Christ. You are redeemed in Christ. You, are, you know what the, the, the point and the purpose of history is in Christ. You know that you're a part of that history in Christ. You have an inheritance. And not only that, but you have the, 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 the assurance of knowing that you are part of this because you are possessed by Christ to the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of this process in your life. 
You don't have to figure out who you are. You don't have to define who you are. You have been given the gift of knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. You are chosen, adopted, redeemed. You have an inheritance. This is all yours in Jesus Christ. And submission is not the, the way that you find yourself as much as it is, it's the way that you give grace to someone else. Submission, in this sense, that he's talking about here, is a way that you give the other person what they need. And in the beauty of marriage, the two of you are giving to the other person a gift, the gift of grace, the gift of mercy, the gift of love, unconditionally, by submitting to this drama, this role. Because if you think about it, the world is saying, hey, for marriage to work, it needs to, have, it needs to have these things in place. But what if God is saying something that actually every couple really wants and is telling you how to get what you really need, just not the way the world would tell you to do it? Now, when I say play the role, so to speak, I want to qualify what I'm saying here because I'm not saying play the role like play the role like you know the roles of who's going to take out the the trash and who's going to do the dishes and and who's going to you know do the laundry and who's going to do all of these roles that we play I'm not talking about that kind of role what I'm talking about is 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 the role like in an, uh, uh, a drama right a, a play when I was at faith um, I tried out for one of the plays that they did and uh, I got a role. It was, it was a minor role. I think it had maybe five or six lines. Um, so I'm not involved that much in the play. I show up in the third act, and I'm the father that everyone is dreading showing up. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like they're trying to maneuver everything so that when I show up, everybody's happy. And, and, so, and so what... From my perspective, I'm thinking, well, my role is minor. I've got five lines. I just got to show up, be the grumpy old father, and leave. And so I was playing with that kind of mindset in my head. And, and the director was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, this role is, is actually, in some ways, the culmination of the play. Like, you're showing up, everybody is, is afraid of you, and you're also... The, the one that's used to having the attention. You're the one that's used to, to everyone paying and bowing down to you. you. You can't show up and just kind of be like, well, this is a minor, I'm not that important. You've got to show up like, I'm the most important person on the set. And I'm like, how, how is that possible? Because clearly I'm not the most important person on the set. I have like five lines, you know. And, and yet she said, you gotta, you've got to be in, you've got to walk on the stage, so to speak, in character. And you've got to have this kind of character. It's going to come across whether you believe that you're a minor role or you're, you believe that you're the most important person on the, on the set. That took, me a, that took me a while to grasp. I was like, I, I, I've just got five lines. How do I communicate that I think I'm the most important person on the set through that. You know, when we were first married, you know, you're still learning each other. You're still seeking to feel loved by the other person. And, and I would come home and my wife would be like, well, I don't think you thought about me today. I'd be, do you really love me? You know, that kind of question. 
I don't think you thought about me today. I'm like, what in the world? How, how does she know what I'm thinking about all day? Like, what do you mean? I, of course, and I can't say, I think you're an idiot for thinking that I didn't think about you all day. That would be, I, I knew that part. That was, that was a bad move. But I would be like, of course I thought about you today, you know. And she'd be like, well, how? How did you think about me today? Well, you know, I just, everything I do is thinking about you. And she's like, I don't think that's true. <laughs> and I'd be like, in my back of my mind, I'd think, how does she know these things? I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to put up this, this like, no, that's really, I really do love you. And, and it's kind of like this, because, because when I say play the role, what I'm saying is everything about how you're living comes through and how you're thinking about it. So, like, she knew that I really wasn't thinking about her all day long, because, because when I came home, it wasn't all about her. Like, what does the text say here? It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing with the water of the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, Right? Now, if I'm thinking about living that drama out, when I get home, I'm not going to be like, oh man, this is a really tough day. Wife, you know, where's my supper? I just want to have peace and quiet. Don't bother me. I'm just, I want to be by myself, right? That's not living the role. <laughs> I, I've shown up and I'm living the role of not husbands love your wives as Christ love the church. I'm living the role of my wife is here to serve me. That's the only reason she exists, and I don't need to think about her until I'm in her presence and she's supposed to serve me, right? But instead, if I show up and I'm like, man, how'd your day go? This is how my day went, and this is, this are, these are things that, that, you know, sure, the kids were difficult. What can I do? How can I serve? Now, you see the difference in her? She's going to know that I thought about her and that I'm concerned about her and that I'm playing the role that I'm supposed to play if when I show up, the first few lines are, how was your day? What do, I, what do you need? How can I help? Right? As opposed to, you're here to serve me, and this is what I need, and this is what I want. Now, within the length of a marriage, there will be times when I'll get home and I could be like, man, this is a really rough day. I feel exhausted. I feel drained. I, I, and she might in turn feel like, okay, well, you know what? I can step in. I can help out. I, I don't need you to, take, to, to help me. I can help you. Within the length of a marriage, that's good. That's fine. But, but what kind of role are you playing? What, what is the way that you're thinking through what he's saying here, and what he's saying to husbands is, submit to this role where you're the head of your wife, but you're seeking to provide and care for her, that you're seeking to give up your life for hers, right? Have you ever thought your, about your body, right? That's the, the, the analogy Paul makes. Which, which is more important, the body or the head? And of course, the answer is, both are pretty important. Like, you don't have a head without a body, and you don't have a body without a head, right? They're, they're both equally important to how this works. But unfortunately, what happens in our, 
in our lives is sometimes we look at the other role that the person is, is that the other person is playing, and we're like, well, they have it easier, they have it better, they they don't struggle with their role like I struggle with my role. And we all have, the point partially is we have different struggles, but the the real point here is. Paul is encouraging both of them to submit because that's what the other person needs. You're giving a gift to the other person. And if you don't, if you don't understand that and, and you say, well, the other person is more, is, is more valuable than mine, actually what you're saying is my role isn't that important. And actually it's very important. Like, like how could the, the head operate without a body? <laughs> you ever think about that? Like I was, like if, if you're a sculptor and you're sculpting something, obviously the head is 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 working with the hands. But usually the head, when when someone like compliments a sculptor, they're they're not like, well, yeah, my head's brilliant. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. What do you compliment about a sculptor? The hands. Why? Because they can execute that sculpture that's in the brain of, of the person with perfection, with beauty, with artistry. I love to play soccer. I don't compliment my head. Like, oh, look how I'm so good at soccer because my head is so, you know, so controlled. No, I compliment my feet. They can, they can turn the directions of my head into a curved pass 30 yards away and drop it pretty much where I want to drop it. Why? Because my feet are good. They have skill. They have ability. And, and if we don't understand that, that both both sides are important, what we do is we actually hurt ourselves rather than lift up the other person in a sense. See, you, you are either playing a role in God's play in this process or you're playing in some other farce. I'm reminded of uh, Don Knotts, right? Don Knotts is a great actor. I'm dating myself here. Young people, you all just have to Google Don Knotts and see some of his, his, his things in action, right? But, but he was, you know, in different roles that he would play, he was like, my body is a weapon, you know, and these hands, these are, you know, for karate, these hands are hands of steel, you know, and he would, he would, he would act like he was really good, and then he would actually try to chop something with his hand, and he'd be like, ah, you know, like hurting his hands, right, because his hands weren't hands of steel. And, and sometimes it seems like, like if we act out some other drama, it's, it's actually a farce. Where it's like, we're, like we're being non-nots and it's kind of funny, but it's also really sad. You know, if, if in primary drama you're, you're, you're acting out, husbands is, well, I, you know, kind of the evolutionary drama of, I'm, I'm the big strong man and I, I got the trophy wife and, I, and she's just this trophy on the side for me to show off how great I am. That's a farce of a drama. I'm sorry. That makes you look like a Neanderthal. You know what I mean? And it makes your wife look like she's an idiot. If, if wise, if, if the primary drama you're playing out in your mind is, I've got this animal of husband that I need to tame into someone who's civilized, again, what a farce of a drama. 
He's, he's made in the image of God, and yes, he has flaws, and he can't find his belt on, on his hanger, you know? But, but, but he, he has gifts and abilities that, that are, God has given him to use. And so that's why I'm saying here, is what Paul is saying here, not me, what Paul is saying here is there is a, a drama that you're acting out in your marriage, there's a story that is playing out. And, and the question is, what kind of story is playing out? Are you playing out this story of Christ in the church and the wife is, is saying, you know what, I can, I can tell my husband my needs and, and, and see him provide for me and I can let him be the head and, 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 and direct and, 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 and provide and, and work to, to, to provide for our family. I'm going to give him the gift of grace to let him do that. He's not going to be perfect at it, and he's not going to be, you know, all wise and all perfect at, at this role, but I have, have, have the, the opportunity to give him this gift and let him play this role that God has designed him to play. And husbands, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I have the gift of, of seeking to, to look at my wife and say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going, to, I'm going to give my life for her because she's the most important thing in this whole world. It's not my career. It's not how much money I can make. It's not what my image is. It's not, not what my legacy is going to be. It's my wife. She's the most important part of my life. What kind of drama are you acting out? What kind of role are you playing? Paul is saying here, we have the marvelous gift of the drama of salvation. That Christ came to to dying people headed for destruction and eternity and hell. And he paid that price for them by going to the cross and dying in their place rescuing them and redeeming them to himself and making them his own, adopting them into his family and saying, you're mine now. And we, as husbands and wives, get to live that out in very practical ways. When I come home, I'm thinking, how can I love my wife, not how can she serve me? When, when, when we come to decisions, my wife is saying, okay, my, yeah, how, what wisdom and insight has God given my husband to, to provide here? Because I want to give the gift of grace to him to, to let him play this role together. And, and it takes time. It takes work. It takes practice. And so my, my, that's why he ends this here. Paul ends it by saying, I know this mystery is profound, but let me just simplify it for you, so to speak. In the last verse, he says, However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let, each, let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so we could say point number two, grow in practicing love and respect. I love, there's a book out there called Love and Respect by Emerson Egerix, if you're looking for some more detail on this. He makes the point that, that in some senses what, ha- what is happening is women are looking at life with, in a sense, pink-colored glasses. They see everything through love. They see, are we connected? Are we close? Are we, are we valuing each other? And men overall look through life with the glasses of, of if blue glasses, so to speak, of respect. Like, the, the, everything is colored through, all right, do we respect one another? Can, I, can I, we give space to one another? Can we, can we allow uh, the differences to exist and, and respect those differences? And, and then you have two people get married. 
And two people who are different one another seek to love one another as Christ loved the church. And, and in practical ways, you have to understand the differences and practice those. Can I just give you a couple of illustrations? Again, these are from Emerson Egerich's, and his, he has two acronyms for this, one couple and the other chairs. Couple for the wives and, and the husbands to understand the wives and chairs for wives to understand the husbands better. The, the first, the C for couple is closeness. That, and what he's saying is that wives overall prefer face-to-face communication. That is, if you want to really feel, help your wife to know that you've been communicated with her, she's been heard, you have face-to-face communication. You sit down across the table, you look into her eyes, and you listen to her. Because um, this is something sometimes guys take a long time to understand, is that the wife is, your wife is on your team, <laughs> She's, she's not your antagonist. You're not, she's not someone that you're supposed to beat and, and win over. It's someone who's on your team. You're together working on something. And so a face-to-face communications is important. Emerson Egerich talks about uh, talking to his daughter in the park, right? He's, he's sitting next to his daughter, and she's going on about her day, and he's kind of half listening. And then in the dark, she grabs reaches out, grabs his face, turns it toward her and says, Dad, you're not listening to me. You know what I mean? Right? Because that face-to-face communication, they can tell when you're not listening. Not because you're like, well, I'm listening, I'm listening. You know, what else are you doing? No, pay attention. Face-to-face communication. Another one is openness. That is open communication. Let her know how you feel. Now, I grew up not expressing my feelings too often. I didn't want my wife to know how I felt overall. Because overall, my deep fear was if, uh, if, I, didn't, if I expressed my feelings, she'd be like, well, those don't really matter, you know? Um, your feelings, who cares, you know? Just buck up and do your job, bucko, you know? And so, so I wouldn't share my feelings and be open about how, what I was thinking um, and so, so I've grown in this area over 22 years, and, and what I've found over 22 years is every time I share my feelings, like, this is how I'm feeling, she's like, oh, okay. And she responds to those feelings. She actually wants to know how I feel, and, and she doesn't just want to know what the facts are of the situation or what I'm going to do about it, how I'm going to solve the problem. She wants to know how I feel. And, and, so, and so that that openness is there. I'm actually... She, it creates cl- more closeness and more unity and more oneness, not less. Another one that they point out is, is esteem. And esteem, often, actually, honestly, is, is often communicated through how you spend money. Again, most wives are not interested in can you build, buy them the biggest house or the biggest car any of those things. What they're most concerned about is can you use money well to, to, to provide security for the family? Can you be, help create memories and, and provide uh, security to, to the ones you love? Man, you'll get much further ahead if you spend your money in those ways, not can I buy the biggest car or the biggest computer or the biggest house, but how can we create memories and how can I show her that we're okay, that we're good. And that, to be honest, that happens in a lot of different ways. When you start 
working with different couples, you realize they handle money differently, they handle, handle communication differently, they handle time differently. There's a lot of different ways that you can do this. And part of it is, again, knowing your spouse really well, what, what's best for them. Because ultimately, you're, you didn't marry a generic woman, some, some generic woman in space. Like, oh yeah, she's kind of like this. You know, frankly, probably when I was 15, that's what I thought. You know, like all women are the same. They're kind of this weird thing you don't quite understand. And then, and then you marry them, and then you don't understand them the rest of your life. Um, and that's like totally the opposite of the reality of the situation is that, that, that each woman is unique and individual and different. And the one you marry is uniquely gifted to, to, to come alongside of you. And to, to, and, but it's not like this uniqueness, like this uh, mystical, and there's only one wo- woman in the world for me kind of thing. It's, it's more the, u- the uniqueness of she's her, and now I'm pouring my value and my time and my effort into knowing her. And as I know her, she knows me. And that, that creates this oneness together that only we can have. And so use your money to accomplish that. Now, for the men, just again, that's just brief. I'm, I'm saying grow in practicing these things. It takes, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes thinking through the, the, the decisions of life together. But, but for men, one of the things that they value, one of the things that they think about is the idea, he puts it in the, in the acronym of the C for chairs, is conquest. That is, we, we dream. We want to accomplish something. We want to see some value to our lives. We want to have some purpose outside of existing to our lives and, and we have that sense of, of conquest that we want to do. And it, it'll look different for different guys. They have different dreams that they have. And wives, the best thing you can understand is you are, when you married him, he's got, he's got his dreams, he's got his ideas of conquest, and that's okay. It's, you, you, you're, you're learning him and how to bless him and how to encourage him. Another part of this for guys is insight. We, we do like to fix things. We like to fix things because it means that we, that again, we conquered something in our lives. You know, you know yesterday, um, my daughter this week was like, Man, my, my oil needs changed. And I was like, okay, we'll change the oil on the car. And there, there, there's something about actually fixing something, changing the oil, getting the job done. I got it on two of them. And, and one of them took longer than I wanted because I didn't have the, the, the tool I needed and I had to go ask somebody for it. And, but, but, but we got it done. I was like, it was almost like, I'm not going to stop until the job is done. Why? Because there's a sense of, of accomplishment. There's a sense of, of purpose and, and good identity that comes from being able to fix something and really say, it's fixed. It's done. It's working again. And for men, they're not so interested in face-to-face communication, women, okay? It's their, it's work for them to look you in the eye and stay focused and listen for long periods of time, okay? Just, just again, there's a dance here that has to take place. You've got to understand it. Sometimes, even my, even my secretary rec- recognizes it. She, uh, she'll start talking about something, and my eyes will just kind of glaze over, like, uh, that's too much information. I can't take it. There's only so much information I can take. 
Um, but but for, for men, they, they want shoulder-to-shoulder time. They want to do something with you. They want to they have you along while they, they do something. They, they, they want that, that sense of, hey, you're with me as we work together. Most men, right, what, what, in their friendships, what do they have? They, have they, don't, they do stuff together. They don't sit and talk to one another for hours on end. I mean, it's, it's, not that, or it's not that they don't do that sometimes. It's just that they do stuff with each other. And usually a guy wants you to come along in the process, Emerson Egerich tells the story of he grew up in rough neighborhood, poor, poor families overall, and, and, and he's thinking back on all the different families that stayed together or broke up, you know, divorces or whatever that happened. And um, he said, you know what, he, he said, thinking back on it, I realized it was the, it was the woman that, that she went out there and he's underneath the, the car and he's, he's, he's working on the car and she's just out there kind of fixing her nails, you know, just, just sitting there watching him work. And that, uh, those are the couples that stay together, you know. Cause, why? Because it's like he's, he's like, look, look I, I can do this. You know, you're watching me do this, I can do this. I mean, every, moms know this, right? Every little boy is like, mom, watch, you know. They're like, watch me. Because they, they, they want to have someone who's seeing what they're doing. And sometimes your husband just wants you to watch him do what he's doing. Why? Because that's a way to feel connected. That's a way to feel together. That's a way to feel oneness. And again, you're acting out this drama of the Christ and the church coming together and together uh, living out this, I'm going to provide for you and you're going to provide for me and we're going to do this in different ways. It's not going to be the same way. It's going to look different, but it's going to be a blessing to both of us. Now, in, in today's world, I have to kind of address one area because what happens when one partner, so to speak, doesn't play their role? What, how do you deal with that? Because we live in a broken world. Not everybody does what they're supposed to do. We understand that. And not everybody understands the role that they're supposed to play. So how do you handle it? Now, Paul, in this passage, is, is giving us the ideal. He's saying this is, this is how, it, how it works. Notice that he does not say, well, if your partner is not doing what they're supposed to do, then force them to do <laughs> what they're not doing, right? He doesn't say that. He encourages both sides to do what they're supposed to do unconditionally because, again, grace is, in that sense, unconditional. It's, it's coming alongside of the other person in their need. You know why? Because over the, the marathon of a marriage, you will have times in your marriage where one partner, for whatever reason, is not really able to, to, to hold their end up for, for a variety of reasons, health, the mental health, all the different things that go into life over time. So it never says, if, if, the, if, you're, if your partner isn't doing their job, then you have to force them to do it. Or if they are not, then, then just leave. It says, play your role and know that your role has power. You see, it's actually the one who won't play the role that holds the power. Like if you, if, you, if you withhold what you can give to the relationship, you're actually taking the power rather than the other person taking the power. Power is not equivalent to responsibility. We're, we're both responsible to do what we need to for the other person. But when we, we hold back, instead of giving the power to God to work, it's like we're, we're taking the power to ourselves and saying, I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to do what is necessary. I'm going to take the power for myself. 
But this is, again, we're, we're acting out God's story. And in, in God's story, he has the power. We are just like the, the, the branch and the vine. He's the one who's providing the power. We're just staying connected to the vine. And if you want your, your, your marriage to have power, you want it to have influence, you want it to, to be healthy and strong, understand where the power comes. It doesn't come from you holding it to yourself. It's when you let him have the power in your relationship. But, so how would that look just practically? Pray. Serve one another. Ask questions. One of the things that, uh, so, so pray is important, right? You're praying for your spouse. Helping your spouse to, to have God's wisdom and God's grace in their lives. You're seeking to serve one another. When, when, when things don't go exactly the way you want, you're stepping in and serving the other person, giving grace in the midst of life. One thing my wife and I like to do is, well, a saying we like to tell each other is, uh, a statement hardens the heart, a question softens the conscience, right? We, t- we tend not to be like, well, you failed here. It's more like, well, weren't you supposed to do this? <laughs> you know, or what happened over here? I thought this was going to happen. And, and asking questions is much better. But at the same time, even those things might not be enough. There's, there, is, there is abuse that happens. And, and frankly, being a part of a church community that can step in and help and, and maybe provide accountability or, or, or simply wisdom to say, yes, this is a time when you need to step back from the relationship. A church community can help with all of those things because abuse is real and it's not pretty and it's destructive. It destroys not only the person, but it destroys the story. The story is no longer one of God's grace redeeming us and rescuing us and helping us and serving us, it becomes the story of Satan destroying and and dealing death in people's lives. So it's not as often hard to tell what abuse looks like. It can hide itself in a myriad of ways. Like, let me give you two ideas but again, I would point you back to, if you're questioning in this area, what's, what's abuse, what's not, I would encourage you to talk to a Christian counselor or talk to, talk to your pastor. Help them, let them help you think it through because abuse is real. Just two ideas, first of all. If it's always a discussion of how you are failing and never how they need to do better, that's abusive. If it's always about you and not about them, too, then that's abusive. If there's never a discussion, frankly, that's abusive. If you're, never, if you're never just able to discuss something and say, well, what do you bring to the table? What do I bring to the table? And how, do, how, is, how can we work together on this? Then it's just abuse because God has made us to work together. Again, this is all part of Paul's ex- exhortation to the body to speak the truth in love to one another. We are called to do that. Why? Because we are called to be part of his body, living out grace together. Church, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Christian marriage in today's world is truly light. It shows how differences can come together and love one another and and play the role that God has for you and not be like, well, you're superior and you're inferior and none of that but simply saying we are, we are em- exemplifying the, the reality of the fact that we have been redeemed. 
If you're here this morning and you are married, you have a tremendous privilege and responsibility. You are light. You walk into a room together, and if you're living out this story, you don't, you don't, in some ways you don't even have to say lines. You don't even have to say it. People get it. This marriage is different. They love each other. They work together. They're listening to one another. They're, they're encouraging and complimenting one another. That is, uh, that is light in this world. Do not give up your light, and do not hide it under a basket. Love one another well by loving and respecting one another. Living out the drama that Christ has come, that we have salvation in him, And you can do that by wives saying, I'm going to give the gift of submission to my husband, saying, husband, what what do you think here? Here's my needs. How can we meet those needs? And husbands coming to your wife and saying, those are the needs? Well, that means I got to give up this, I got to give up this, and, and this is how we can meet those needs together. That's very practically what he's saying to do. And if you will practice that, it doesn't take a lot of lines sometimes, but you will be light in our world to the glory of Jesus Christ. Will you do it? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have this drama, that we have the reality that Christ does this for us. He came and he saw our need and he died to meet our needs. And he is not done with us. He is now making us into his bride, to one day stand with him, beside him for all eternity, rejoicing in what he has made, ruling with him, and enjoying the provision of his kindness and mercy forever. Lord, we live in a world that's not about that story. Sometimes it's about the story of how much money I can make. Sometimes it's about the story of how much pleasure I can have. Sometimes it's a story of um, just, I mean, of shame, of I feel like an idiot, I feel like I'm nothing, I feel like I'm worthless. And you came to redeem all of those stories and to make us your own. Help us as we interact, husbands and wives together, to live out that story and help us, help those of us who are single to realize that the greatest relationship anyone has is with Jesus Christ. We thank you in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Strength of flesh and bone, but it-